you have fun this week creating a vision board and a vision statement? How did you do pondering on how you could cleanse, nourish, and challenge the four aspects of your life, your heart, mind, body, and spirit? We mentioned previously that not only do we need to become one with the Savior in our name, in how we love, and in what we do, we must also become one with Him in how we think, meaning we are hearing His voice as carried to us through the Holy Ghost. We are attempting to make our thoughts His thoughts and our ways His ways, so we'll be like Him when He comes again, and so that we'll be effective instruments in His hands. The more we are like Him, the more we have on His armor, which represents Him. Essentially, what we're doing is putting off the natural man, which Satan uses against us, and instead putting on the Lord. The more we are like Him and are clothed with His armor, the more we can resist the attacks of the adversary. We learned how to discern the voice of the Spirit versus Satan in part one of the Helmet of Salvation by looking at the emotions we were experiencing. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, etc., But the fruits of Satan are fear, anger, jealousy, discouragement, pride, etc. These painful emotions are a warning to us to check our thoughts and replace Satan's lies with God's truths and to use the Savior's atonement to enable us to have the strength and faith we need to dispel that darkness. Having the Spirit with us, feeling those emotions, and hearing His voice is an indicator that we are on track, doing, thinking, loving, and becoming like the Savior. The Holy Ghost is the messenger who baptizes or cleanses us with fire. So having His presence with us helps us to know we are on track toward reaching salvation. The Holy Ghost is also the one who seals us up for the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12-14, it says, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Close quote. This scripture makes me think of how we put earnest money down on a house to show we are serious in our desire to buy it. To be sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise is our earnest money toward our symbolic mansion in the kingdom of our Father, the one the Savior has been preparing for us if we are faithful. When we put all our faith, trust, and obedience in our Savior and His word of truth, the gospel of salvation, then we are showing our seriousness And the Holy Spirit then seals us with the promise, as represented by putting down earnest money, that we will have an inheritance with Him. He is offering us all that He has if we'll be faithful and obedient. Only a loving Father in Heaven would extend such a generous offer to such imperfect children, but who are trying. Oh, how important it is to always be found at the Spirit. When we do not have the Spirit with us, then we know we have moved out of the Lord's territory and into Satan's. When we do, we know we're on track toward salvation. I think life can be likened to rowing upstream in a river. 
we must constantly be putting forth effort to put off the natural man and to become a saint through the atonement of Christ, as it says in Mosiah chapter 3, verse 19. If we stop rowing, it is the equivalent of just giving in to Satan's temptations to follow the natural man. We will be swept downstream, or as the scriptures say, Satan will speedily drag us down to hell. This constant rowing or resisting the natural man helps us to grow stronger spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, just as we would if we were physically rowing a boat. It takes a great deal of effort to go upstream. The commandments the Lord asks us to keep are of deep importance and can be likened to dipping our oars deep into the water. When our strokes or actions are of true depth and worth to our salvation, we will have the power to move upstream but only if we do them consistently and frequently. Just as when rowing a boat, it is beneficial to set a rhythm or a pace, we need to make our actions consistent and habitual for them to do us the most good. When we get caught up in doing the shallow and light-minded activities of the world, we are symbolically only dipping our oars in a little bit into the water. Depending on the actions, some good may come from what we are doing, But these activities are not of deep significance in what is most important, that of achieving our salvation and of helping others on this path. With these kind of activities, we may just find that we are barely keeping ourselves from going downstream. Last week, we learned that to achieve salvation, which is what the helmet is representing, we must listen to the promptings of the Spirit as to what we need to be working on the direction we should be heading, the changes we need to be making, etc. And we also need to seek the Savior's enabling power to achieve those goals and to be forgiven when we fall short. This is a prime example of dipping our oars deeply and the effort it takes to do so. For example, the Spirit gives us a thought of something we need to do, whether it is to do it immediately in the short term or in the long term, We then go to the effort of putting off the natural man and using the Savior's help to accomplish the task. This then helps us to progress in our ability to hear the Spirit's voice. We become a better person and we are blessed. We are moving upstream. The more promptings we act on, the more we are symbolically dipping in our oars. Making keeping covenants, going to the temple, feasting on the words of Christ, earnestly praying are all such examples of dipping our oars in deeply. These will lead us upstream towards salvation and becoming like our Heavenly Father. Now comes the counterfeit. Satan would love to distract us from hearing that spirit. In keeping with the counterfeit pattern where Satan wants to swap him for God, We are going to be tempted to swap out the voice and feelings of the Spirit for the voices and feelings of Satan and the world. Listening to the world with its visions, dreams, and goals, or in other words, what it says is of worth in pursuing, can be likened to dipping our oars in shallowly. We may be busy, and some good may be coming from what we are doing, but we are not truly moving anywhere. Another applicable analogy would be that of a car engine when it's idling. An engine that is idling is running, but it's not going anywhere. The same is true for us. We are busy, 
but not busy doing those things that will bring us toward salvation. Satan knows that for good men and women, his best tactic is to distract us. He knows he isn't going to get us to do a grievous sin with, with where we are spiritually, but he can lull us away into carnal security, distracting us in the world's vanity fair, thinking, all is well in Zion, I'm well enough off. I can take off my armor and go enjoy some of the pleasures of this life. The only thing is, Satan is the most unrelenting foe we will ever have. We are constantly at war. To mistakenly think we are in a time of peace where we can take off our armor is a deception from Satan, where he convinces us, I'm no devil, there is no hell. To take off the Lord's armor is to be going back to having on the natural man with all its carnal appetites. Instead of loving and putting God first and dedicating our all to him as when we girded our loins with truth, we make the things of the world our idols. Instead of nourishing ourselves with God's word and spirit, filling our hearts with his love and focusing on constantly purifying ourselves with the Savior's atonement, as we did when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we spend more time immersed in the words of men with its comfortable, pleasing-to-the-ear doctrine. We begin to make the natural man's appetites the law we follow instead of the commandments of God. Our hearts become hard as we attempt to tune out the guilt we feel. Instead of being anxiously engaged in good causes, fulfilling missions or promptings from the Lord and sharing his gospel, we become selfish forgetting that all that we have, including our time, has been given to us from the Lord. Our faith becomes weak without these faith-strengthening pieces of armor. Our shield is no longer protecting us from Satan's lies. And lastly, instead of being in tune with the thoughts the Spirit brings into our mind and being anxiously engaged mentally by guiding and seeking salvation through the help of the Savior's atonement, we are mentally asleep. We are like the car engine that is idling. Our thoughts may be busy with things of the world, but not busy with the things that will help us to achieve salvation. The story of Mary and Martha is a fitting example. Martha was ever careful and troubled about many things of this world, but Mary was choosing that good part. She was learning at the feet of the Savior. We too can learn at the feet of the Savior as we put forth effort to study the scriptures Pray to him for answers to our questions, and then listen for the Holy Ghost to enlighten our understanding. One of the best ways to be able to improve our ability to hear the Spirit is to create opportunities for him to speak to us. If we'll write down questions we have, take them to the Lord in prayer, and then study with all our might, the Spirit will give us the answers we seek. The more we do this, the more opportunities we will have in being able to hear the Spirit. We have to be diligently thinking and asking questions, though. Learning to hear the voice of the Spirit is a bit like tuning an old-fashioned radio, as Elder Boyd K. Packer once described. At first, we're not sure if we can make out his answer, but the more we quietly listen in close, we will begin to recognize and understand his voice. This is an imperative relationship we need to have and a voice we need to hear. As President Russell M. Nelson stated, quote, In coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually 
without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. My beloved brothers and sisters, I plead with you to increase your spiritual capacity to receive revelation. Close quote. We will not be able to increase our spiritual capacity to receive revelation, though, if we are surrounded by constant noise. If we are to tune into that radio, we are going to need all the other noises in the room quieted. Think about all the constant noise going on around us. Things that we have streaming through our ears, eyes, and minds. Are they thoughts that are bringing us towards salvation? Or are they just the mundane things of the world? These distractions keep us from hearing the Spirit. We need to be dipping our oars in deeply, immersing ourselves more in the things that invite the Spirit, and to be always found where the Spirit can be if we are to stand in holy places. Taking off our armor is to go places where the Spirit cannot be with us. As we lay aside the things of the world and instead elevate our thinking from the mundane to the meaningful and invite the Holy Ghost to teach us, we will be spending more time learning at the feet of the Savior. Hearing His voice is what it means to receive revelation, which is vital help in the trying times leading up to His second coming. I love these scriptures found in Doctrine and Covenants section 88. Verse 63 is the Lord giving us His promise. Quote, Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. Seek me diligently, and ye shall find me. Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Close quote. And then in verses 67 through 69, the Lord gives us the charge to keep our focus on what is most important if we want to gain light and truth. He says, quote, And if your eye be single to my glory, your whole bodies shall be filled with light, and there shall be no darkness in you. And that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. Therefore, sanctify yourselves, that your minds become single to God. And the days will come that you shall see him, for he will unveil his face unto you. And it shall be in his own time and in his own way and according to his own will. Remember the great and last promise which I have made unto you. Cast away your idle thoughts and your excess of laughter far from you. Close quote. If we want to see the Lord and learn at his feet, we must lay aside the light-minded things of the world, draw near unto him, and have our eyes single to his glory. To me, having our eyes single to his glory means we will want to be taught by or to learn at his feet, by him for the right reasons, out of a love for God, that we want to know him, serve him, and become like him. And if that is our purpose, he will fill us with his light. Now, this doesn't mean that we must spend our whole day in the scriptures. The scriptures are the most important of books, and we should make sure we immerse ourselves in them every day because they teach us of the Lord's doctrine. But the Lord loves all truth and wants us to learn all we can so that we can better serve the missions he calls us to do. He embodies all truth, and all truth connects with each other. The more we learn, the more we'll see the connections. 
Further on in section 88, the Lord goes on to tell us what we can study to prepare ourselves for our future missions. Quote, Teach ye diligently, and my grace shall attend you, that you may be instructed more perfectly in theory, in principle, in doctrine, in the law of the gospel, in all things that pertain unto the kingdom of God that are expedient for you to understand, of things both in heaven and in the earth and under the earth, things which have been, things which are, things which must shortly come to pass, things which are at home, things which are abroad, the wars and the perplexities of the nations, and the judgments which are on the land, and a knowledge also of countries and of kingdoms, that ye may be prepared in all things when I shall send you again to magnify the calling whereunto I have called you, and the mission with which I have commissioned you. Close quote. <laughs> that is a long list in a variety of areas. I feel the Lord loves us to diligently seek for knowledge and wisdom. But the key is to learn with the Spirit and to listen to His counsel. Only when we enlist the Spirit's help will we take the knowledge we are learning and be able to apply it to the gospel and to our life so that it becomes wisdom. Our end goal is to become like our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So until we elevate our education from memorizing facts to actually applying the things we are learning, helping us to learn to create like Him, to serve like Him, and to be like Him, until we do, our knowledge will just stay stagnant, simply being just a bunch of facts. So how do we go about learning? The Lord goes on to say in verse 118, quote, and as all have not faith, seek ye diligently, and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning, even by study and also by faith. Learning and teaching what we are reading helps us to increase in faith and wisdom. As we ask for the Lord's help and then put forth our best efforts to seek, study, and learn, we will gain wisdom. And then, when we teach or discuss what we are learning with others, we then can both share what the Spirit is teaching us and learn even more wisdom. We are both edified and our faith increases. Discussion is powerful. I learn so much when all parties have studied and prepared, and then we get together and share. The Spirit always teaches me more and gives me new insights in these settings. I would highly recommend creating discussion groups or book groups among your family and friends. You will learn so much. We would like to take a minute and brainstorm or discuss just what a best book would look like. Thanks for joining me, guys. I would like your help in discussing the question how can we determine what is a best book? So the scriptures talk about that we need to study out of the best books, words of wisdom. How can we create kind of a, a guide or a little ruler to judge what would be a best book? Now we could also apply that to any media that we take into our life for that matter. Our music that we listen to, the videos we watch, 
There's lots of things that we take into our minds and they help mold and shape our thoughts and what we will eventually become. So in thinking, you know, in even a broader perspective than even simply books, what are some things that you have found make something a best book? I would say a best book is one that you learn from every time that you read it. So you could read it five times. And especially if you read it a few years apart, that you will get something different from it every time that you read it. And learning something from a book um, doesn't necessarily mean like factual things. The best books are not not always something that you learn something factual from, but something spiritual that you didn't realize before. Maybe about human nature, about the Holy Ghost, or some symbolism or parable in the story that you can relate to your life that helps you to be a better person. Wow, that was awesome. And when you were talking, it made me think of when I read the book Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. The first time I read it, I'm like, this is a crazy story. And I didn't hardly get anything out of it. And then I read it again several years later. And I was I was like, somebody else read this book with me. I want to talk about it because it was amazing. I found all these applications to my life and these crazy characters. And it just caught me on fire. So... To me, a best book, yeah, it's exactly. I could read that again because I still have more questions now after reading that. Like, oh, what's Mr. Jaggers representing? Or um, just the spirit totally enlightened my mind as to things I needed to work on. So to me, that's something that's a best book. The spirit helped me to want to be a better person. And I think every time I read it, I will probably get more and more out of it. I think as a side note, I think somebody else wouldn't be able to um, give you the same experience if they were to read it and tell you all about it and all these cool symbolisms and these cool things that they learned that changed their life from it. It is not going to impact you the same if you are to read it yourself because I was actually reading that book with you. And you're like, oh, look at this. This is so cool. And like, look at this symbolism. And I just wasn't really getting it, you know? <laughs> it was your first time through. Yeah. And so like, it's it's a different journey for everyone. And when you read it, you will find things that are specifically for you that the Spirit will prompt you with and teach you from. Mm-hmm. I think my attitude was different the second time I read it too. I think I knew I was going to be discussing it with you. You were reading it. And I thought, okay, we've got to find some good stuff in this. So my attitude was, I was looking, I was honestly seeking, and I had a notebook with a pencil in my hand. And I was, in a way, just inviting the Spirit to teach me. And He did. It was a totally different experience from the first time when I listened to it just simply on an audio. And I was like, oh yeah, that was a really crazy book. But this time, it was totally different, so... I think our attitude is is a huge part of what I mean because I th- I think there's something we can learn from a wide variety of things if we have the right attitude. So 
I think that was interesting too what you said that it doesn't have to just be factual. Isn't it interesting how often the Savior taught through parables or through stories and and it, it's something our brain resonates with. And so I think it's necessarily studying from textbooks isn't the best way, but instead maybe learning about it in a story form how that math came to be or how that science came to be or something like that would be would be really beneficial. So to me, that would be more of a best book than just trying to memorize facts. What about if we were to look at the scriptures? They are definitely a best book. What can we glean from them that makes them a best book? The truth. Yeah, they're definitely true. So a best book would have the truth in it teaches truth what else I think the scriptures are really good because they definitely have a lot of symbolism in them like if you're reading the book of mormon and there's like the tree of life and and I think it's also really good because sometimes it will even explain those those things that happened and the progression of the people and how they were like the pride cycle, and it really keeps your perspective. And the scriptures are also something that we like to call a core book, where it's basically something that holds your core beliefs and teaches the principles that you believe in. And I think that is so, so important because there are so many beliefs and ways to think and ways to live in the world and if you don't have one solid belief that is right and true then you will forever be trying to find happiness in places that will not make you happy and just blown about by winds of doctrine because everybody has a different way of believing and there are lots of lies and instead of just going through life trying all of them if you have those core beliefs which (laughs) they have been tested by people and it doesn't matter if you're in this age or a hundred or a thousand years ago it stays the same because god is always the same and he doesn't change so that's important yeah no that's awesome it it's true that you need to spend so much time in your core book like you said because it's the one you're going to compare everything else you read to to determine is this right is this wrong so we need to know it forwards and backwards to be able to guide us in every other aspect i think it's cool in the scriptures how different prophets will focus on different things and so if we go through those chapters with that in mind, learning all you can about what that prophet has to say about his certain topic he likes to talk about, then you can learn a lot. Yeah, for sure. It seems like all of them have questions that they had in mind that they took to the Lord and they were able to to learn what that meant and share that with us. And so we were blessed to have that knowledge. But it's a great pattern for us as to how we can go about learning from best books. So what are some things you've found when reading books 
that helps the spirit to come and help you learn. What are some things you've done along with reading your book that allows the spirit to teach you? Praying. Praying is huge. If you want to know something out of, you know, if you want to gain something out of this, we got to ask the Lord for help. What else? Have a pen in hand to mark up the spots you like and then things you agree with. Yeah. Yeah, we do that a lot. We mark up our books and we're always showing each other, oh, there was this amazing quote in here and it's such like what's going on in life right now or, or whatever that way. It's awesome. I think having a question in mind is huge too. If I'm wanting to be a better parent and I have this question in mind, how can I you know, do this? And I go reading from the scriptures or these best books, then... The spirit knows what I'm looking for, and it'll cause that to jump out at me. And so that's how the spirits helped me, too. So we've talked about before likening the things we are consuming into our minds a lot like food that we consume. And when we go to the library, I'm like, okay, let's not all come home with candy books, but let's get some vegetable books and some protein books and some fruit books. What would you guys say is a candy book that's like the opposite of a best book? I think there are a lot of candy books nowadays because I believe over time we have become overstimulated, if you will, with our TV and just the instant access to like the internet and we can look up whatever we want to know at the time and so we become very impatient kind of and we don't want to sit down and read a book that has challenging words and that will teach us something and it becomes boring to us and so we want a book that is highly entertaining and has lots of stimulating parts in it and just different things that draw you in and and it's not always the best and oftentimes those aren't the kind of books that we learn from because they're just created for entertainment. Yeah, and what happens when you eat too much candy? You get sick. <laughs> yeah, it's like we get physically sick and then what happens if we consume too many brain candy books? Our mind gets sick. Yeah, in what way? What's that look like? Um, in in one of the books that we read that was a classic, um, it was called Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen. And there was there was a girl in it and she read lots of mystery books and maybe romantic books and stuff. And she she started living her life sort of through those books. And because of all those mystery books that she read, and I'm not saying mystery books are bad, it's just if you read too many of that kind, then your your brain will start to think that way. And so she started being really kind of skeptical or thinking that this was some mystery that she's got to solve and there's this this key and this 
father that <laughs> killed the mother <laughs> and like it's a mystery and nobody knows and and so she just started thinking up this whole story and thinking that her life was just just like what it was in those books and it really wasn't and this guy didn't kill his wife he actually did love her and it wasn't some big mystery and I think that's kind of what can happen to us when we read a lot of books and it's kind of whatever like whatever genre if it's like a fantasy book and you start to think everything's a beautiful fantasy and or I think romance books is a huge one because there is so much drama and highly stimulating stories that draw you in and you start thinking that your life is just like that and then pretty soon you draw those problems or that drama into your own life yeah it's true too I mean you think about when you consume candy and then somebody offers you even something sweet like a strawberry it's lost all its flavor to you too Mm -hmm. so we don't have that appreciation for those classics or the things that are the best books that we can really gain something out of because it's like we've lost our taste buds. We are used to the easy stuff. We're used to just being entertained, like you said, is overstimulating. I think the same could be true for lots of different forms of, of media. Like if we spend tons of time playing video games or something, you know, surfing the internet or, or something that way that's highly stimulating, then pretty soon the others that require us to think and to, you know, are more substantial, just they don't have that same flavor to us. You become desensitized because you've are always felt these hormones that... Endorphins. Endorphins. Yeah. And they just become the, the top, and so to get... Higher than that, to feel more of that, you'd have to get more sugar, get more of those books. Yeah, and it's really sad. If you cut some of those out, and all of a sudden you realize there's a whole world out there that one can learn, you know, pretty soon maybe a science classic starts to be interesting to you, or history classics, or just lots of different things will open up to you, and, and you discover learning is really enjoyable gets you excited say you're right now in the middle of several business books and and you come and tell me all about them and 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 I think those can be classics too in the fact that we can learn in many different aspects of our life and have have it be a classic if we apply this test to it that we want to come back over and over again and read that and we gain more and more out of it every time and and it's something that we feel the spirit when we read that and and we want to become a better person and it helps us to fulfill our missions and so there's a lot of great books out there that really can be considered best books what about those books that are are kind of they're like dystopia books or books that are in a way kind of awful i mean I think it's some sometimes okay to have some of those books. Not a lot. Not too much that it makes your life depressing. Just 
just enough so you can learn about their mistakes and change your life for the better. Yeah. Yeah, you see even in the scriptures that it's full of stories of people that made poor choices and the consequences. And we can learn from books that are, are you know, showing an awful situation too, like a dystopia book. It's like what we don't want to have happen. Sometimes when you go about it in that that light, all of a sudden it becomes a lot more obvious as to the lesson you can learn. So Oliver DeMille talks about, he calls them like whole books, the ones that are like the scriptures that just, they fill us and we feel so much better when we leave them. And then there's these bent books that are, you know, it, it's got people making poor choices and, and things that way that, you know, that we can learn from, but we don't want to spend all our time in them. And then there's complete broken books where evil wins. And that's, that's the books you, like, don't ever want to spend your time in. They're, they're very rare. We learn from them. And I think that's what's so important is whatever we pick up, whether it's TV or books, whatever, that we use our core book to compare it with and say, is this right? We don't want to ever get complacent in whatever we're reading go, oh yeah, that's just the way it should be or that is the truth or something that way. But we've got to have our eyes open to learn from it. Any other last thoughts on what makes a best book? The knowledge of it. Yeah, don't we come away a lot wiser? We've gained truth. We've applied it to our life so that we become a better person. It leads us to Christ. Isn't that our main goal is to become like the Savior? So a best book would teach us that wisdom of how to become like the Savior. And and that largely happens as the Spirit talks to us. So if it invites the Spirit. Any other thoughts? Any of you want to share one of your favorite books? Bendigo Shafter. Yeah, we loved Bendigo Shafter. That was a real cool story that showed us, like we saw ourselves in that book. So to us, it was the best book. It's by Louis L'Amour. And we see this young man's journey as he leaves home and they go out in the wilderness and there's no government, really, no law. And you see that side of the people that run crazy and those that rise to the occasion and become good people and good leaders and it's a lot like us when we leave home. So we learned a lot from that one. What are you going to be like when you leave home? Anybody else have a favorite book they want to share? I think another one of our favorite ones is Hiding Place. That one is kind of one of those books that you saw the evils out there, but then you saw, because it was a concentration camp, Nazi Germany time period with the Jews, and you saw someone handle it in a very Christ-like way and we all felt so inspired by that despite what challenges come our way we could learn from her example I think the Ralph Moody and Little Britches is is a good one because it teaches about character building and how you should do that and yeah I learned a lot from it yeah, it was cool. You gained a lot of factual knowledge as well as I remember you coming away thinking, I want to be a dad like that. And you were very inspired. I really liked the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. And 
That one is by Sean Covey. That one really made me feel like I wanted to be a better person, and I learned a lot from that one. Yeah, it's cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for discussing the topic with me so you can maybe better identify what, what we should put into our minds because it, it is really true. I, I think there's a saying that says, like, we are the sum total of the five people that we hang out with the most, but I think it's also true as to what we put into our mind by what we read and watch that we can become the sum total of of those type of people you know in the form of books and media and so it's good to choose choose wisely and thanks for helping me to figure out what what is the best learning through stories is so impactful we can tell our children principles of the gospel such as you should be honest but when they see an example of a dishonest person in a story that they are reading and you discuss with them the effects of their actions and how the natural man-human tendencies got them to where they are, the principle, be honest, all of a sudden takes on new meaning. We can then help them to apply the experiences of the character in the story to our child's life so they'll begin to apply the lessons. Our left side of the brain takes in the writing and facts of what we say. But our imaginative right side of the brain wants to see the big picture of what it looks like to be good. And when it does, our faith increases in the need to keep the commandments. I have gained such a testimony of the importance of reading and discussing with my youth. Please try it. In getting back to Satan's counterfeit, the two ends of the spectrum, Satan seeks to pull us off from the elevated balance center is to be ignorant or to be very knowledgeable to the point we don't think we need God's counsel. Second Nephi chapter 9 verses 28 through 29 shares this end of the spectrum by saying, quote, Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one. Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. Close quote. When we deviate from not applying ourselves to hearing and being taught by the Spirit, we fall into Satan's deception or counterfeit. We become ignorant to the manipulations of Satan when we don't have the Spirit with us to guide us. Or we consider that we don't need the Spirit's help because we already know it all. Those are the drastic ends. But if you apply the principle, you will see that we all fall into this trap at times. Satan loves ignorance, or when people are blind to his influence on them and others, as people are easily persuaded and controlled when they are ignorant. He appeals to the natural man's laziness to spend our time in light-minded forms of entertainment and activities instead of doing the hard work of learning, thinking, and observing. It is interesting how he then uses the people he has manipulated on the other side of the spectrum, the ones who are wise in their own eyes, to seek to gain power and control over those who are ignorant. And thus, he has both groups in his grasp. It is further interesting how each group points at the other group and finds them despicable. Both groups, the ignorant and the wise in their own eyes, who are really ignorant also, of Satan and his ways, are focusing on the world and listening to it instead of God. 
The media is a perfect example of this. It has become like a false god that people go to for information or to be mind-numbingly entertained. Those at the top have their agenda or doctrines that they wish you to learn. They then broadcast it out to the masses where people willingly accept it as truth. If you remember the reason why we are putting on the armor, it is because, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Close quote. If we are to see past Satan's deceptions that come to us through the rulers and those in power, including the media, we must have on the Lord's armor. This means having the Spirit guide and teach us as we observe, think, and study to gain truth, learning the Lord's doctrine so that we can compare everything we are hearing and seeing to it. Doing so will help us to learn the truth from the lies. Satan loves to make good look evil and evil look good. We have to be ever watchful and observant and have the spirit with us. Satan will take that which was invented for good and then find a way to use it for evil. We must be thinkers. Everyone has an agenda. The Lord and those that truly serve him are the only ones with a pure agenda, that of helping us to achieve eternal life. Be careful about grouping with the ignorant masses that believe all people in power are making choices for our good. Maybe you feel this is negative and pessimistic, but I believe the Lord isn't well pleased with those that remain in ignorance and do nothing to defend the right. We need to pull our heads out of the sand and do what we can to recognize and then stand up against evil. We will be held accountable for our efforts at fighting sin. As it says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, quote, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Close quote. You cannot expect to sit in your boat on the river of life and expect to stay out of the way. You will be bowled over or scattered by those either going upstream or downstream. I would invite you to open your eyes and ears to all the messages that are being broadcast to us and our children. The movies, music lyrics, books, social media, etc. all have a message. They all have an agenda. Satan is very cunning and subtle. I hope the Armor of God series has been helpful to you in opening your eyes to Satan's tactics and in arming you with knowledge. Knowledge is power. I pray that we'll learn all we can with the help of the Spirit, giving more time to studying and learning than we have in the past. It will increase our faith if we study out of the best books and with the help of the Spirit. John 8 gives us the Savior's doctrine, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. To be on either end of the spectrum is to be captive to Satan. If we are guided by the Spirit, we won't be ignorant by all that is going on around us or blindly manipulated by Satan. But we will be free because we will be blessed with the guidance of the Holy Ghost. The Lord's armor is light and freeing. Satan's is heavy and binding.
Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14 says, quote, Now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. It is my prayer that we will put off the natural man and lay aside the light-minded things that we spend our thoughts on from this world, but instead wake up from our slumber and put on the Lord's armor. Ponder and hold on to righteous thoughts, and then there will be no room for Satan in his thoughts. As Francis Hodgson Burnett says in The Secret Garden, Where you tend a rose, my lad, a thistle cannot grow. May our thoughts be anxiously engaged in things that will lead to our salvation, and may we couple with the Savior for his help. I hope you'll join us next week as we pick up the sword of the Spirit. We have now put on all our defensive pieces of armor, and now we are ready to pick up our one offensive tool against Satan. See you next week.